everyone worships. Sure, not everyone wants to call it worship or even think about what they're doing. But everyone worships something. Everyone has some ultimate thing that they centre their life around. Something or someone that they hope will give their life meaning or purpose. For some, it's religion. For others, it's money. For some, it's fun. For others, it's success or power. Or science or knowledge. Or beauty. Or popularity. For some, it's love or sex. For some, it's their family. But the Bible says, all things were made by Jesus and for Jesus. This means we were created to worship, but there is only one who is really worthy of our worship. That's why nothing else in this world satisfies. We keep on looking, we keep on striving, we keep on buying, but nothing delivers. Nothing brings us that deep satisfaction that we long for. But when you live your life with Jesus as the center, you're doing exactly what you're created to do. You're right in the place you're supposed to be. So the irony is that when we give our lives over to worship Jesus, that's when we actually find ourselves. Everyone worships. But we were made to worship just one. God, I'm excited, as I said, for, uh, for God to allow me to be here to share this word with you. Um, I, I tend to study, you know, as I study and as I, and as I go through the side and trying to figure out what God would have me to share with you. Um, I, I often find myself studying um, theological issues that I've been familiar with before and uh, things that, that I'm very comfortable with. And, and I was just sharing with Heather, there's something... There's something uh, bothering me this morning. I'm not sure exactly what it is. You know, I, I just want to be real with you that I feel more nervous than I normally do. I don't really know why. I, I, there's nothing really different that I've done this week. I don't know if it's because we've changed up the service a little bit. I don't know if it's because Satan is, is kind of getting at me. I don't know if it's because I don't know what it is. But if you would pray for me because I don't want to stand in the way of what God has for you. Um, what I want to talk to you about this morning is worship. And, and what it is that God is longing for, really, I was, I was about to say from us, but that's the wrong way of thinking about it, is that God, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. So God is not sitting someplace going, I wish they would give me some worship. No, that's not how it is. God is not needing anything from you, but he is longing for something for you. 
you need to understand is that, that worship is not even, and I know that it's hard to say and it's splitting hairs, as the video just said, that we were created to worship. But if you, you can take that in the wrong way because we weren't really created to worship. Let me explain what I mean by that because that should, if you've been in church for very long or have an understanding, you should go, huh? We, would, we, weren't, we weren't really created to worship. That would imply that God needed someone to worship Him, so He created us to fulfill that task, which would make God's motivation for loving us and coming to us a little skewed. Because He needed something from us, then He came to guide us so that we would do what He needed for us to do. That is not, this is not a, para a parallel relationship. This is a, this is a, a benefactor, beneficiary relationship, whereas we have nothing to offer God. We have nothing. There is none righteous, no malfront. There is nothing in us that, that would cause Him to have to come. There is nothing good. That there is nothing that He would say, I've got to go get Him. I have to do this thing so that I can get this thing from Him because I need it. You understand? He doesn't need anything from you. You say, well, that sounds kind of harsh, brother. But I would say that that reality, that truth, is what you need to understand so that the love that God has for you is pure. You see what I'm saying? He didn't have to come. He didn't need to come. He didn't, there was nothing that he had to have. And so the reason that he did come was pure love. Don't you understand that, that in your relationships, that's how you know true love too. He didn't have to Mary, he didn't have to do that thing. If, if a man shows up, and I'll move on. If a man shows up, I think I've given this illustration before. If a man shows up at the door of his own house, and he rings the doorbell, and he's standing there very oddly, and his wife comes to the door, and she opens the door, and she has this strange look on her face because the door wasn't locked. Why are you ringing the doorbell to your own house? And he swings out two dozen Bag of bone roses <laughs> and some chocolates in this hand, and she's like, "Why did why what did I, why did you do that?" And he says, "Well, it's my duty. This is what I, this is what I'm supposed to do." What's the reaction? Oh. <laughs> but you take the exact same scenario. You take the exact same scenario. Remind. You got the man, he comes up to the door, he rings the doorbell, his hand behind his back, the lady opens the door, and she's looking at him very strangely. And she and she says, What are you doing? And he whips out those same roses and that chocolate. She goes, Why did you do that? And he goes, Because I love you. Because I love you. I, I don't need anything from you. I'm not expecting anything from you. I just love you. You see, that's the love relationship. God doesn't need our worship. He purely desires our worship because He loves us. He loves us. So I would, I would rearrange that to say you weren't created to worship. You were created worshiping because it is what you need to be fulfilled. That is part of love. So you were created to worship, but you were created already worshiping, and worshiping God is your field. It is what you need. It does make you whole. The video said everyone worships something, and it's absolutely accurate. You are a 
continual worshiper, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, you will worship. Therefore, I started looking and saying, God, what would you have me to preach and teach this week? He said, I want you to talk to the people about worship. I said, I'm not very familiar with worship as, as much as I am, uh, you know, other theological issues like atonement and, you know, the preacher type things. And so I got to dig and I got to look and he led me to scripture and then another scripture and another scripture. I'm like, that is too much. He says, I've got another one for you. And so we looked again and I'm not trying to scare you, but when I emailed Grant my, Grant my notes, it was the longest set of notes I've ever emailed in my entire life. And I said, now we've switched up the schedule, so now it's like 11 o'clock, so I've got like an hour and a half. The West Club, I still want to do my time. You know? So I got to make sure, you know, that, that I'm, doing, I'm in God's time. And, you know, I'm not going to shut God down, but I want to make sure I'm in God's time. I've got, I've got the title of the message today is Essential Worship. Essential Worship. How many of you have ever heard of any sermons on worship? Raise your hand if you have. I don't, I've not heard about it a whole lot either. And, and, you know, I didn't see a whole lot of hands going up. If you have, uh, that's awesome. I'm not sure what you heard, if it will line up with what I'm about to say, because worship, I'll tell you, is about this big, okay? And I've got about 50 minutes, 45 minutes. And so I can only show you what God has shown me. And maybe we can talk about it some more another day. But what he showed me was pretty exciting to me. It lit my fire. I was, I was, I was absolutely excited because, yeah, as you can see, as I learned and as I understood what this, what this thing looks like and what it means is, it even caused me to talk to some others, which created a reaction that we would even change the whole church service to see if we could be more in line with what God says in His Word. Which should be an example of use. Some people may feel uncomfortable in that. Some people might not care. Most of you like, no, what's the big deal? Some people are very set in the way of doing things. But what I think that this should relate to you is, is that you need to be examining your life every day to see if there's something that you could reorder to give God more glory. We're creating a culture that is not afraid to change if it means that we can see God more clearly. We don't change the word of God. We don't change the eternal and timeless message, but we change how we deliver that from time to time so that we can better understand. Essential worship, we are in uh, primarily in Psalm 95, verses 1 through 6. If you'll go ahead and turn there with me in your Bible, it'll be on the screen as well. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 6. I have a little introduction for you first, though, to kind of, you know, I thought you said, I thought that was the introduction. I was just kind of talking to you. The introduction is, is that I want you to understand that as I was digging through this, that, that when I started looking at worship, it started to line up almost, almost exactly with why God made you. And I know a lot of the times we, we associate worship with that 30 minutes of music on Sunday morning. We, we associate worship with that. That's what we think worship is. But what I mean, and that is worship. It might be that one of the climaxes of worship. I'm not so sure about that statement, but it may just be, okay? But what I'm saying is, is that worship, true worship, biblical worship, is something that continually happens throughout each day and each day of the week. It is something that we are continually doing if we are doing 
what God has called us to do. And so as I looked, I started to see that worship is not just something that you do. It is who you were created to be. And I was, as I was talking to Leslie, that's the splitting hairs over you were created to worship or you were created to be a worshiper. You were created to be a worshiper. You are a created worshiper. That's what you do. And as you come into what God is calling you to do, you would worship continually. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation in chapter 4, it says this, And the elders were at the throne, and, and, and those that were there fell down at the feet of, of the Lamb. And what did they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. And how often they did this? How often did they do this? Day and night. Day and night, forever and ever and ever, they were continually saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb, the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is He. Continual worship. It says that, that when the others saw them doing this, they took off their crown and they threw it at the feet of Jesus and they got on their face and they said, Holy, holy, holy. As you worship every day, all you are doing is getting ready for what you will do for all of eternity. If you're a child of God. It's what you were created to do. And as you try to figure out, oh, please, people, let me, let me help you. As you try to figure out, as I try to figure out, what will make me whole? How many in the room, don't raise your hand or point at your neighbor. How many in, your, how many in the room feel half of a person? You feel like you're missing something. You feel like something is left out. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what it is that I'm missing. But it feels as if I'm not a whole person. I would venture to say that it may be that one of the most important things that you are missing is a state of continual worship. How many of you enjoy worshiping here on Sunday mornings? I do too. I'm here to tell you and Wesley will tell you too, and he's our worship path. You can experience that same level of worship every day of the week. Many of you may be. Some of you are not. And I'm so sad for you. It will transform your life. The Westminster Catechism, Sort of Catechisms, asks the question, what is the chief end of man? Or what is it all about? Why are we here? And the first answer is, the only answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is what you were created for, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Your life should be about glorifying God. Don't you understand? Your life should be based founded and centered on this. Whether it works, you're looking at this. Does my job, the way I do my job is to glorify God. Am I enjoying Him as I'm doing this? As I go out and play? As I do my hobbies? As I post on Facebook? As I coach Little League? As I watch Little League? As I, as I eat my supper? As I go to work? Whatever it is, do you glorify God with your life? Do you? I coached a Little League game yesterday and it was crazy. Little League is just flipping crazy. I'm telling you, it is. I mean, you got little five and six and seven year old little boys running around going, who's winning, coach? Who's winning? And the coach is like, I'm about to. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I mean, what, what's going on here? What's going on? You know what I'm saying? It's just crazy. It's, does your life, does it revolve around worshiping God and glorifying the Father? I'll tell you, I've got the Father often. But I want to get on my face and, and 
That's what I want to share with you today. It's that as you get close to God and as you worship continually, you will be transformed. Let me read you several verses here that go along with this Westminster Catechism that says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why you are here. Listen to Psalm, uh, Psalm 86, verse 9. And listen, if you're really quick, you can call it a big deal there. Psalm 86, 9. Listen to what it says. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. All the nations shall come and worship you, O Lord, and glorify your name. That's what it's about. I want you to flip over to Romans chapter 11. We're going to have Bible drill today. Bible drill today. I don't do this often, but this is the way God showed me today. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 12, 1. This is what he says. Listen to what he says. I want you to right now, let's stop for a second, all eyes on me. If you would, repeat with me. Oh God, let us hear your word. And let it affect our souls. Let this you need to understand. This is not words on a page. It is life that can be had. Listen to what he says. Romans eleven thirty three. Please God, let us hear this word. Oh, the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or what has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who has given a gift? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your life is to be in a continual state of worship. God is deserving when we think about His unsearchable ways. When we think about how great and how awesome this God is and how He is absolutely magnificent that He would come to a person like me. This should create in us a desire to kill. Now take it all, God, now as the elders cast their crowns down at the feet of Christ, hit their face and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. God's Word tells us of His magnificence in every place that we turn. In every way, in every page, we see how amazing this King is. And it continually should blow our minds and break our hearts. We get in this morning to the meat of the sermon. I want to show you three truths about worship. I want to show you three truths about worship. And we're going to do this out of Psalm 95. And today I really, I want you to, I want you to be moved, okay? We're going to worship in a minute, and I want your heart to be moved. But I want you to learn something today. I want you to learn how your life can be different. I want you to learn what you can do, how you can start to transform your mind, how you can start to change in your mind so that you might glorify God and be more fulfilled. That you might glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So I want you to think as we go through as well. 
The three things I want to show you, the three truths that we will examine about worship is the reason for worship. Number one, the reason for worship. Number two, the rush of worship. The rush of worship. And then number three, the result of worship. I'm getting all preacher today. I got all three R's. Y'all should be able to remember that. You think I took some homiletics? How many of you ever heard that word before? Do you know they have classes teaching you how to preach called homiletics? And this is the one thing they teach you right here. The reason for worship, the rush for worship, and the result of worship. But it did fit today, so we will run with it. The first thing I want to talk to you about is the reason for worship. The reason for worship. Let's look at Psalm 95. Let's read them, and then we'll go back through and break them down a little bit. Psalm 95, chapter, uh, chapter 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation! Exclamation mark. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. In His hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Do you hear this language of worship? Oh, come and let us bow down. Let us worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. I want to show you these three things out of this text, and we'll bounce around a little bit to give you a little bit more proof, but I want you to see that, that worship is essential. That worship, if you want to be what God has called you to be, and if you want, who in here would like to behold? Who in here would like to, to know what it is that God has called you to and to be in it? God is calling you to a place of continual rejoicing. Continual joy, even when times get hard. I did not say happiness. God is not calling you to be happy all the time. He is calling you to a life of joy, deep-rooted joy because of who He is. The reason for worship, let's get into it. Now, <clears throat> the reason for worship, uh, somebody get me a, a little bottle of water, please. My throat's getting a wolf. Uh, the reason for worship. We have to skip down actually to verses 3 and 5 to get the reason for worship, and I'll tell you why. Let me read it again to you, and I'll show you. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. This is worship. This is being affected by God in such a way that you worship. You cry out to Him in song. You make a joyful noise before the Lord. You, you are proclaiming Him. But you see that next little three-letter word there says, For the Lord is a great God. For the Lord is a great King above all gods. And His hands are the depths and so on. You see, what He's saying there is, is that we are breaking out in worship. Something is coming out of us. We are being affected because of this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go down to 3 and 5. Because we want to look and see what caused this worship. Because we want to worship. We want to get there. What caused this 
this joyful noise, this, this, this presence of God that just has this psalmist clamor. Oh, oh, the Lord. I, I shout to the Lord. I shout a joyful noise out there. What caused it? And we go back to say, well, he tells us, for the Lord is a great God. The reason for worship, first point under here is, worship can only happen when we understand God and will only happen to the degree that we understand God. Let's read that again. Worship can only happen when we understand God and will only happen to the degree that we understand God. Now let me clarify, because what I don't mean is that you, until you have a, the, a theological understanding of all the different doctrines in the Christian faith that you can't worship, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. I don't need necessarily a theological knowledge or head knowledge or book knowledge of God. There are lots of people who have an amazing brain. But they are very unamazing when it comes to their faith. I'm not talking about a head knowledge. What I mean is, is that worship can only happen when you understand God means until you understand how amazing God is and how unworthy you are. Until you understand your sinful, sinful position in perspective of such an amazing, sinless God, you cannot worship because you do not understand what He is doing for you and what He has done for you. You see, many of us walk around thinking, well, I'm not that bad. Well, I'm not that bad. Why do I even need salvation? What do I need to be saved from? I never killed anybody. You see, until you understand that your sin is spinning in the face of the Almighty and that our particular sin is what put Him on the cross, that, that we deserve hell and condemnation, but He, in His great kindness, in His wonderful mercy, and in His amazing love, has come down out of heaven onto the earth to live the life that we should live, to die the death that we should have died, so that we might be able to live the life that we do not deserve. Until you understand that, you cannot worship. You cannot. And when you finally understand your sinful position and what God, the great creator, though he did not have to, is offering to you, until you understand that you cannot worship. And even when you do accept this, you will only worship to the degree that you understand it. And I'll, I'll, I'll clarify that more too. When we first come to Christ, when we first come to Christ, there's a couple of different reactions. But a lot of the time, are new believers more passionate than old believers or less passionate? More. Why? Why? Anybody know? New. It's new and exciting. Yeah. What else? Come on, we can be interactive for a second. Overwhelming. Why? It's because we are right next to our sin. How close are we to the sin that was just condemning us? How close? Boom! And we understand. We have a clear understanding. I smoked crack yesterday. We understand God should have killed me. He should have killed me. But he saved me. Oh my God! You see the reaction. 
But you give me somebody who's been a Christian for 20 years and not ha and has not watched himself, has not understood that he is still a sinner, has not understood what God saved him from then and now. And I'll show you somebody who's proud and cannot worship his life he used to. And I think they'll say the same thing. You show me someone who's been in church for 50 years, and you show me someone who's been in church for five days, and I'll show you the difference. Now the older, more advanced Christian has other things that this Christian needs to work on. But I guarantee you, you learn that. Uh, to the degree that we understand what this great God is saving us from, we can only worship to that degree. So you show me, and Jesus says the same thing. He said that, that, that the one that was forgiven much, the one that was forgiven much, he is much more ecstatic about what is done. You show me someone that thinks that he wasn't all that bad? And then God saved him. He's like, I'm saving him too. I'm pretty good. But you show me someone who was down. Well, I mean, you know, why do you think so many people just have to be in the nastiest, dirtiest, rottenest place? Why would God allow that? Who believes God is omnipotent? He can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Why didn't he just show up in a dream and say, be saved? And he's like, yes, Lord. Why does he allow you to get down in the gutter and in my own life, literally, I remember a time I told you the story when I was literally laying in the ditch, bleeding out of my mouth, stuck to high heaven because I'd been up for five days on drugs, had not showered, and I remember thinking, mm -hmm. and when God pulled me out of there, I said, whatever you want me to do, whenever you want me to do it, however you want me to do it, I am yours. I owe you my life. I will give you my life. I have nothing to offer. It's yours. And it's to understand, I don't care who you are, and I don't care if you've never touched a drug in your life, you're in the exact same position I am. I just realized it. Do you? And I did not realize it because I'm that smart. Matter of fact, I was running wide open, and God said, Boop, boom, boom. Right on that, I got that cut in my mouth. You see, you can only worship to the degree that you understand this. God. And so I guess today, maybe, maybe today you examine your life and understand. Don't you understand that that porn you looked at, you thought nobody was looking? Don't you understand that lie you keep telling us that you can build your business? Don't you understand those sins are what crucified Christ? There is no sin that's okay with God in my life or in yours. It's time to crucify the flesh because God is worthy of worship. You see, the psalmist proclaims. I'm going to preach for 27 minutes already. The psalmist proclaims, yeah, we might just be a little long today. Hey, we lost an hour, might as well lose another one. <laughs> Let's get on with it. All right. For the Lord is a great God. You see what he says? I have bursted out in worship. I can't contain myself. I'm clamoring here for. That's what he says. For the Lord is a great God uh, and, a, and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Don't you see? He says, the psalmist proclaims that God is a great God. He's the king of all gods. He's the creator. He's saying there that, that he, is, he is a great God, gracious to me. He is gracious to me. He is wonderful. 
wonderful to me. And what he's done is absolutely amazing. And there is no other God beside him. You look at your God and you laugh. I look at my God in my face. He created everything, yet he's concerned with me. He created everything, yet he's concerned with me, a sinner, a wretch, that has spit in his face more times than you can count. And though you think you may be a saint, and God came so that you wouldn't have to suffer hardship, let me tell you something. Until Jesus Christ came and washed over you with the blood that flowed out of his side, you were no saint. You were the sinner that stood at the foot of the cross and said, let's see if he can save himself. Lest we think we're the servant of this great God. No. Get on your face. How you feel about something is always, and I put that in all caps, how you feel about something is always tied to what you understand about it. Let me read that again. How you feel about something is always tied to what you understand about it. Let me give you a little example. You know, I use my kids almost every time because it helps me understand, and they're just awesome. Last night, you know, as you, as you understand something, it starts to affect you in a different way. You, the way you feel about something is always tied to what you understand about that thing. If you understand differently about it, the thing doesn't have to change, but as your understanding changes, you will feel differently about that thing. Let me, let me kind of find a picture. Last night, we went over and hung out with Western Christian for a little while, and then all of a sudden I realized that there was a time change. I was like, oh, we gotta go. It's too late. And we got home, and it was like 11 or after by the time we was going to put the boys down. And um, we decided last night that we sleep in a pallet in our room, a pilot, as uh, Titus would say. But I was in the laundry room, I was getting ready for bed and everything. And Ezekiel runs in there to me, he's like, Daddy, can I watch TV in your bed? And I looked at it, and it just kind of came out. I said, you can watch the back of your eyelids. But he had never heard that expression before. And it was funny because he got this kind of excited look, you know, because I told him he could watch the back of his eyelids. And he gets this excited look and he goes, and he goes, then he opens his eyes and he goes, these? And I said, I said, yeah. He closes his eyes again. These are not TVs. <laughs> Bible oftentimes, and this happened to me 
Friday night as I was studying and, and getting my final touches on and getting ready for this sermon, as I was studying my Bible, literally, I had to throw my pen down and put my face on the desk and raise my hands. Because I could not take tears flowing out of my face. Because of what this God has done. And as you understand, you will be moved, which leads us to number two. The rush of worship. The rush of worship. You see, the psalmist seems to be clamoring with excitement and wonder. This goes back to verses 1 and 2. This is what he says. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. You see, the psalmist seems to be clamoring. He, he, he has been affected. He's seen what's going on. And, and he's like, oh, my goodness, this, this God, this great King, this gracious God, he's coming, and he's come for me. What do I do? What, oh, God, I love you so much. Amazing grace. I don't even know how the words go. I'll sing it. That's what he's, that's what he's doing. He's, it, it, as a matter of fact, when you rightly react to God, you will get books. When you rightly react to God, you will get looks. How many of you don't raise your hand, don't point at your neighbor, but how many of you don't raise your hand because you might get looks? Raise them hands. Get them looks because that might mean you're doing it right. Because the Bible says is that when this psalmist understood what this God was doing, who this God was, and how undeserving he was, he made a joyful noise. Hallelujah! Praise God! Jesus! That's right. And I'm sure people look at me like people feel weird. But you know what I feel about being weird? I think that we should have the average Christian look at us going, he takes the same way for serious. Absolutely. Put him to shame. I'm not, I, I, I don't, I'm not scared to say that. Do not be an average Christian. I don't even know if there's a such thing. I'm not convinced of that. Do not be an average Christian. Don't just do the God thing on Sundays. Oh, don't do the God thing on Sundays. Get in the Bible. See this great God and be moved to yell. Sing to the rooftops. Be transformed by what you have heard and what you have seen. Be transformed. You should give crazy looks, not just in service. And I'll tell you, I mean, if I pass you going down the road and you've got one hand on the wheel, one eye open, and one eye open going like this, I will say, my dog. <laughs> because I might be going. <laughs> Worship every day, people. Worship every day. The more understanding you gain, the more emotional you become. The more understanding, this kind of touches base on what we had said a while ago, that you will only worship to the degree that you understand what God has done for you in your position. This is kind of said in just a little bit different way. It says the more understanding you gain, the more emotional you become. The more understanding you gain, the more emotional you become. Let me kind of find a picture on this one too. Anybody ever watch the show by Little Brown? He's a pretty funny guy. And uh, the way that uh, him and his wife uh, interact sometimes is just hilarious because it's really true for a lot of couples, you know. That's why I'm funny, I think. 
But I'll never forget there was a couple of episodes, and I remember this one in particular where he was sitting on the couch, and you know, she's always giving them a hard time about their relations with one another. And he was reading something or watching the TV, and she walks by and kind of slides her hand across the back of his shoulders, and she says, Would you like to go upstairs? And he goes, I was upstairs. <laughs> he doesn't understand. He's not moved, and all of a sudden he goes, and she's like, would you like to go upstairs? And he's like, put the TV remote down. Like, Turn the TV off, you know. Okay, this way, this way, yeah, let's go. You see, as you understand, the more emotional you become. As you, as you understand the, the situation, as you understand what God is doing. And so I'm telling you, gain knowledge. Some of you say, well, I just don't like to read the Bible. Look, man, push through it. It is essential to go worship. An understanding of God is essential to go worship. And I'm not telling you you've got to get into the Westminster Catechisms. But I'm telling you, get into the Bible. Because you might say, I don't have a, it's hard for me to read, right? I, don't, I have a hard time. I, you know, I, I only went through this prayer or that prayer or whatever. I'm telling you right now. The Word of God is living and acting and sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces all the way down. You just get into the Bible and wait for it to start reading you. Amen. That's what you do. The rush of worship. You are in a rush. You are in a rush. And then lastly, the result of worship. As you reason and begin to feel the rush, and I just want to let you guys know, we're not going to crash this service today. We are going to worship. So when I'm done, if you've got to go, you can go. We're going to worship. And we're going to do what God has called us to do. Because we are running a little long, but I'm going to obey God. Now I'm going to obey the Spirit. So if you need to go after this, you can. I hope I don't see that. I hope you worship. Our great God is worthy of 30 extra minutes. Sorry, that's a little side note there. The result of worship, verse 6, this is the last point. The result of worship, as you reason and, to be, and begin to feel the rush, the result is always movement. Always. So you see, a lot of churches... They would get caught up in the Holy Spirit and the emotional atmosphere of a church. And so you get high Pentecostalism, okay? And now we are affiliated with Pentecostal Church, so I'm not knocking that. We are literally Pentecostals. But what I'm telling you is, is there's, there are extremes to everything. And if you are so tied up in the emotional atmosphere of a church and how you feel about the service and how you feel about the music and how you feel about that, then you have lost sight of what it's really all about. Is that worship should start in our heads. And as we understand, it should move down into our hearts and it should make us cry out about this great God and Savior. But then it moves out through our hands and we move and we act and we do what God has called us to do so that others would come and worship Him too because He is worthy. He is worthy. As a matter of fact, that's where the word worship comes from. If you break it down, it goes back to Old English and then a further, but that word actually means worship. Worship. It is Worthiness. He is worthy. Therefore, we should worship. We, he deserves our worship. He is what we should worship. 
The psalmist goes on. Listen to how it comes out of his hands. He says, Our great God, King above all gods, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands have formed the dry land. Oh my goodness, look at this great God. Then he breaks out in song. He breaks out in joyful noises and, and, and lavishing praises to God and songs to God. And then what does it say? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. You see, as he understood, it moved him to song, and it moved him to praise, and it moved him to make a joyful noise to God and all crazy. But then, as he was looking crazy and singing to God, it moved him to act. And he got down on his knees, and he knelt before God. He bowed down. It leads to submission. So there's your picture. Head, heart, hands. It begins in, in your head as you understand God, and it makes your heart boom. You understand? It's moving you in your heart. And because of this great thing, you can't contain it. You can't hold it in. You've got to let it go. You've got to get it out. You've got to go and tell them. You've got to get on your face. You've got to get on your knees. It is moving you to be moved by God. And I will say this. The only response to this God is full surrender and submission. Going back to Romans 12, remember what it says? Well, for our bodies as living sacrifices, for this is our spiritual worship. The only response to this God is full and utter submission and surrender to give it all away. And we stand and we say, Oh Lord, oh God, how great you are. I bow down because my heart cannot be contained inside of me. I will go. I will go. I will not hold back. Whatever you're calling me to, I will go. say you must have that cry because you can't force it. That cry will come out as you worship. So with that in mind, you will worship. When you think about this great God who has come, we will worship. As you understand and your heart starts to beat inside of you over what He has done for you. As you start to think about your own life in the sinful position, the sinfulness of your own actions, and you still understand that He still loves you. For this is love, not that we have loved Him, but that He has sent His only Son to die for us, even while we were still sinners. Let's all stand to our feet. God is worthy of our worship. So let's give it to Him now. Be moved in Him. I love you.